Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Have you ever caught your cat looking just over your shoulder and wondered, huh, maybe this is the end. They're definitely seeing a ghost and or murderer and or home invader that I can't see yet and I'm truly done for. Well, our working theory here at Paranormal Captivity Podcast is that cats are capable of way more than we give them credit for or that they've convinced us they're capable of. Hashtag conspiracy much? Join me and my sister Julia as we dive into the world of crime-solving cats and ghost-hunting cats and werewolf cats. We like to shake it up. And who knew there was a whole literary genre dedicated to this investigation? Well, our mom, that's who. Our main resource in this journey is a cozy mystery series our mom read growing up called The Cat Who, where a doofy journalist continues to ignore the very implicit instructions of his Siamese cats, who always seem to know who murdered the local housekeeper and other such small-town happenstances. We're all just kitty sleuths here. You can listen to us on all your favorite listening platforms and online. We're at Paranormal Captivity Pod on Instagram and Paranormal Pod on Twitter. We hope you can join us on the case. Cue some slinky noir music and cat meows. Hello. Hi. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Liz. Did you know that this is perhaps it's you? It is? Yeah, it's an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. What? And How it's, did I get here? <laughs> it's so unofficial. Where am I? It's a very unofficial. It's unofficial? Yeah, it's not sanctioned by the entities that be yet. Perhaps it's what <laughs> it's, not sanctioned. It's, it's not sanctioned by perhaps it's you either oh, honestly it's not. It's not. i'm so tired i'm sorry <laughs> we're a little rusty we didn't have an episode out last week so it's been like two weeks since we've recorded i know well we had our 100th episode and we partied so hard we needed a break that we needed a break yeah actually it was thanksgiving and no it was because we town and it just busy. led to a bacchanal it was just like carnival in here and after <laughs> and after i cleaned up all that glitter i was like i'm tired no kidding let's take a week off or it was thanksgiving one of the two i eat it's up to you to decide yeah, which. fact or fiction <laughs> figure it out <laughs> um wow what do we usually do at the top of these well, shows do we have any updates I don't think we do. I think the update is that we're amazing and everybody loved our 100th episode and congratulated us and we we deserve a huge pat on the back. Is that an update? Sure. That counts. That we're podcasting gods, (laughs) reinventing the medium. It is hard to believe we've had 100 episodes. This is 101, I guess. I find it a challenge to record. Well, that's probably always going to be true. But and then every so often, someone that doesn't live here is like, can I be on our show? And we're just like, no, we can't figure that out. We don't know how to record remotely still. It's like, I'm well, sorry, we'd love to have you on the show. That would but be fun, but too damn bad. We've tried to do it several times, and every time we have failed. It's really been a huge clusterfuck yeah so as much as we'd like to have guests who don't live here because most of the people we know in podcasting don't live here uh no we, we don't know how to do our it our guests are our friends we barely can figure so out how to work our own equipment I know. just ourselves today we were looking at our mixer and i said is this red light supposed to be on nope I don't think it is. Maybe, well, it's not normally on. Is it supposed to be on? I don't know, because I don't know how this works. That's another... I mean, we've never had it on before. doesn't mean we shouldn't have it on. So, we just kind of fiddle with the little knobs until it seems like we sound okay. 
The point is, dear listeners, you too could have a podcast. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> it's a time commitment. I'll give you that. But beyond it, not it's not hard. as technical as you are thinking right now. And really, at this point, you could just do it on your phone. Honestly, you probably should. Probably be easier. Yeah, just don't have a co-host. Yeah. And just talk to yourself. And right, that makes things very simple. Yeah. More could, than one person complicates it a little bit. You could have the 37th top podcast in Croatia one week, too. Yeah. I know that's your dream, your childhood dream. And it came true for us, and it could come true for you as well. So inspirational. Oh, my God. You know what I realized? Is I do not have a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> like as I'm sitting here, like oh, I'm so ill prepared. Well, maybe by the end of the episode, you'll maybe come something up will come to me. Okay, I do have a candy for us to taste. This I picked up at H Mart, which is a chain of very nice, gigantic Korean grocery stores. And if you live by it in H Mart, I cannot tell you how jealous I am of you. But it's probably good for my budget that I don't have regular access to one. But they had these Kit Kats that are uh, apple pie flavored. But they're purple? For some reason, they're purple. And, and they I'm, say Halloween break on them? I'm not sure why they're purple. They also sort of smell, I feel like, blueberry almost. I like that the like little individual panic it just has like two ghost hands on it. Sure. Just two floating hands. Halloween. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Let's... They honestly smell really... I just busted my open, mine open, and it smells like a really nice fall candle or something. Yeah, it has a, like... You know when you go in that fall shop at the apple orchard that sells, like, potpourri and shit? That's what this smells like to me. And it is purple. And it's purple. Like, like the pumpkin pie you know and love. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a bite. All right. That's good. That's pretty good. It a little bit tastes like a candle. A little bit. It tastes like a candle smells, but it's pleasant. Yeah, it's not bad at all. It does taste like apple, despite being purple. Yeah, I think maybe the purple's for Halloween. I'm not quite sure. I assume it is. It's like a lilac color. <laughs> it's very pretty. It is nice. <laughs> okay. These, these are good. Okay. I've had worse Kit Kats for sure. <laughs> I wish we could have those pumpkin spice Kit Kats again, but Curtis fucking ate them, so... <laughs> Don't let him get a hold of these, because these are really good. Yeah, no. I've been keeping them, and we, we have a special snack drawer in the studio, so that's really where the pumpkin spice Kit Kat should have been. That was my mistake. Yeah, I like this. It's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's that important update. I think that's maybe all we have. This episode uh, is weird. It's kind of all over the place. It's a mishmash. Uh, I believe re- listener Robin warned us that it sucked, and... Robin, you were not wrong. Yeah, you weren't wrong. It's not good. It is not great. Uh, this is season four, episode 21. Did you see that this season has 25 episodes? Yeah, so we're getting close to the end. Yeah, but it, it's further away than I thought. It is further away than I thought. And the other thing Wait, is that we have... I mean, I always knew how many episodes were in this season, because I've carefully planned it out. <laughs> oh, no, I watched this like 20 minutes ago. Here's the other thing, is that we are into December now, and we don't specifically have a programming update because i think we're not totally sure how many more episodes we're gonna be able to record this month but we may have another week or two off over the holidays so just oh, be we, prepared we for that will. uh so if there's a week where there's no episode out just know that it's probably because we weren't able to get together to record the holidays are coming up it's a busy time you're um, just gonna have to cry yourself to sleep over that one there's nothing we can do there will be a patreon episode out though on time uh it may be the last day of the month but that's still <laughs> we still consider that on time Absolutely. So you will get a Patreon episode 
Uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon at any level, so you'll have that content. But just a heads up that we Look, may... Look, we give special consideration to people who cough up a dollar. Yeah. That's just the facts of this cold capitalist hellscape. <laughs> yes. If you, di- if you didn't cough up a dollar to hear a Patreon episode, that's fine. But you'll never get to hear us gush over young B.D. Wong. And that's your choice. That's your choice. Because you could have stolen that dollar. You could have... <laughs> And somehow send it to us in electronic form, and yeah, then you'd be able to hear you it. Fish that out of a fountain, and you saw that money in there, and you went, "No, that's rude." All right, well, well that's a choice you made. <laughs> All right. So we watched Amazon Prime, as you know, Whew. Unsolved Mysteries can be found on YouTube now. Uh, I think there's like there's a, a Roku, Roku channel. channel, but this is season four, episode twenty-one on Amazon Prime. Yes. And our first mystery is an unexplained death. This is the murders of... I thought it was a wanted. Is it a wanted? Oh, you're right. It's a wanted. Okay. Can I say my mustache right away? Yes. I don't even know whose mustache this was. I think it was one of the cops. There were a lot of cop mustaches. I took a few photos. It's kind of scraggly and gray and not very good. Is it this mustache? Yeah. Mac named that the pathetic attempt. This is Sergeant Bruce Coral of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department, and it's it is a pathetic attempt. It's very straggly. Yeah, it doesn't look good. It's not a... He shouldn't be growing a mustache. It also looks like he's cut it too short, almost. I'm assuming he knew he was going to be on TV. He wanted to give his mustache a trim to look good. And you know when you're, like, plucking your eyebrows and you, like, pluck... You, you've gone mm-hmm. too far? Oh, yeah. I think that's what happened with this mustache. I think it... Yeah, I think that's probably true. So... But he didn't want to get rid of the mustache entirely. <laughs> no, no there one goes his credibility no. as a police officer. <laughs> we, we wouldn't even know if he was a cop or not. Right. And probably none of his friends and family would have recognized him. Probably no one has seen his bare lip in, like, 25 years. To this episode's credit, tons of mustaches. I think That's everyone true. in this episode has a mustache. That's true. Uh, so there's Even that. the wildlife. Even the wildlife has mustaches. Okay. So this isn't wanted. You're right. Uh, this is the... We're looking for the murder of Marie Lillianberg and Maria Wallen. So 23-year-old Marie Lillianberg and 25-year-old Maria Wallen were uh, Swedish women who met in Valley, Colorado in January 1983. They were working in a hotel as housekeepers, although Robert Stack calls them chambermaids. <laughs> yep. Like, what? year is it Robert's deck? Chambermaid? It's Chambermaid year. That is bizarre. So they were working as housekeepers in Colorado for the winter during the skiing season and then they planned to uh, travel through California before they had to head home to Sweden. So when the skiing season ended the summer of 1983 they went hitchhiking through California. Uh, However, their friends warned them against this. They said it's not safe in America to hitchhike, and they recommended that they not do it. I think they felt safe because they were together. They did. So they felt that they could size up anyone who picked them up and determine if they were dangerous. And Maria, in particular, carried a knife and was convinced that she'd be able to defend herself. And they were going as a, a pair. So you can understand why they would feel safer. This story is just another reminder that, honestly, you should not visit this country. Just wherever you are, stay there. Or go somewhere else. (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's like my first note. After a drawing of the pathetic attempt, it just says, don't visit this country. That's not bad advice. Brought to you by the United States Tourism Board. So several truck drivers gave the women rides, all while telling them about the dangers of hitchhiking. And they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably what I would have said, too. Shut up. (laughs) Mark Hansen, who was interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries, says that a lot of truck drivers will pick up women who are hitchhiking in an attempt to keep them safe because they recognize that some people who are picking up hitchhikers are doing so with nefarious purposes. 
classes. And he says when he picked up the women, he gave them a ride to, um, where did he take them to? San Diego to Compton. And he said he tried to act like basically a big brother and discourage them from continuing to hitchhike. He said it's not like Europe. It's not safe for women here to hitchhike, get hitchhikes, hitchhike with strangers. Uh, but again, they were like, whatever, dude, we're together. We can yeah. fend for ourselves. We're both trained ninjas. You don't know us. Pretty We're much. fine. <laughs> so when he got to Compton, he had one of his friends give the women a ride to Oakland, which is near San Francisco. The women were last seen alive on July 22nd while hitchhiking near Redwood City. They were heading back to Los Angeles so that they could catch a flight back to Sweden on July 24th. But then two days later, after they were last seen in Redwood City, their backpacks, passports, and other items were found in a dumpster in the City of Commerce, a Los Mm. Angeles suburb. Along with their belongings, a travel diary was found, which helped investigators determine where they had been and who they had been with. And then a roll of undeveloped film, which also helped them determine. And we see a lot of those pictures. It just makes the segment sadder. I know. They're clearly like having fun on this vacation, the two of them. And yeah, they had just spent the entire winter working, probably saving up their money. They were going on a last little trip through California and they were headed to the coast. Yeah, they, they like. They're murdered, like, two days before their flight back to Sweden. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. So after they vanished, both of their fathers came to the United States, hoping to find their daughters through generating media attention. Several leads did come in, but no trace of the women were found. But then four weeks later, on August 18th, two deer hunters found their decomposing bodies in Las Padres National Forest near Santa Barbara. How traumatic must that have been, too? Yeah, no kidding. They were just walking through the woods, and then they, they just find, find an arm, two. and then they that like leads them to the rest of the bodies. I know it's really <sighs> awful. So both victims had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. Dental records and jewelry confirmed their identity. Police had few leads in the case until eight years later, when a caller contacted the Swedish consulate, claiming that a quote woman hater named Lauren was responsible for the murders. It was an early incel. At the time of the broadcast, he had never been identified, and the murders remained unsolved. So, one of the descriptions of him, like, it says, like, yeah, he had, like, thinning red hair, blah, blah, blah. And it said he had watery eyes. Watery, bulging eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I find that so specific and weird. (laughs) Very bizarre. I mean, I have watery eyes. Frightening. Would that be a description of me? Watery, bulging eyes? It's like Liz Walker, 5'6" dark hair neon bangs <laughs> watery eyes so this is what the caller claimed about this lauren character that he was from canada and that he apparently hated women he also drove from canada to mexico during the summer in a white van with a green canoe on top lauren apparently specific. told the caller that he had come through san diego and had met two swedish women who had tried to con him according to the caller he confessed to killing both women and this is his description he was over six feet tall, had a slight build, was 175 pounds, protruding nose, red hair, and watery, bulging eyes. <laughs> so Why is that funny? Bizarre. So, there's also, a- what do you think the con was? Because I... So, there was assume, no con. Assuming any of this is true, I'm guessing the con was that they wouldn't sleep with him. That's probably true. Which <laughs> yes. is not a con, that's by not the way. A, that's not a con. So, this case is officially unsolved. However, there's a bit of a twist in that um, 
their murder is sort of connected to a serial killer duo that was operating in California at the time. So here's what the Unsolved Mysteries wiki said. And this, this sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole this morning. Okay. So the anonymous caller later came forward and helped police locate the man named, quote, Lauren. However, there was not enough substantial evidence to convict him for the crimes. Lauren was later arrested and convicted in other crimes, but has never been charged with these murders. Mm. Here is the twist. Lauren is believed to be Lauren Joseph Herzog. He and Wesley Shermantine were dubbed the, quote, speed freak killers. Herzog died by suicide on January 16, 2012, and... Shermantine is currently on death row. So, these serial killers, uh, this is according to Wikipedia, the Speed Freak Killers is the name given to serial killer duo Lauren Herzog and Wesley Shermantine. Together, initially... Uh, convicted of four murders, three jointly, and suspected in the deaths of as many as 72 people in and around the San Joaquin County, California area. Oh my god. They received the Speed Freak moniker due to their methamphetamine use. Herzog? Fair um, enough. Yeah. So this is from ThoughtCo.com. Lauren Herzog and Wesley Shermantine Jr. were childhood friends, having grown up in the same street in the same small farming town of Linden, California. They spent much of their childhood exploring the hills, rivers, and mine shafts of San Joaquin County. Herzog and Shermantine remained best friends through high school and into adulthood, and it seems that they did that where what one did, the other did as well, including bullying, binge drinking, and eventually using drugs. After high school, they shared an apartment for a while in nearby Stockton and began heavily using methamphetamine. Together, their behavior spiraled. Investigators believe that Herzog and Shermantine began murdering people when they were around 18 or 19. However, it's possible that it started much earlier. It seems that no one was safe. The pair murdered friends and strangers alike. Whoa. The two were arrested on March 1999. Uh, for suspicion of the murder of two girls who were missing. Their names were Chevelle, or who went by Chevy Wheeler, who was 16 and had been missing since October 16th, 1985, and Cindy Vander who was 25 and who vanished on November 14th, 1998. Once in custody, I guess um, the one of the two's blood was found in their car. Oh. And that's how they were initially uh, suspected of the murders. Once in custody, the childhood bond that Herzog and Shermantine had quickly dissolved. During a 17-hour interrogation, Herzog turned on his best friend, describing Shermantine as a cold-blooded killer who would kill for no reason. He told detectives that Shermantine was responsible for at least 24 murders. Fuck. He described an incident when Shermantine shot a hunter who they ran into while they were on vacation in Utah in 1994. Utah police confirmed that a hunter was shot to death in that area, but it was still classified as an unsolved murder. He also said that Shermantine was responsible for killing Henry Howell, who was found parked off the road with his teeth and head bashed in. Herzog said that he and Shermantine passed Howell parked on the highway and that Shermantine stopped, grabbed his shotgun and killed Howell and then robbed him of what little money he had. Herzog also said that Shermantine killed Howard King and Paul Raymond in 1984. Tire marks matching his truck were found at the scene. He gave specific details as to how Chevelle Wheeler and Cindy Vanderheiden and Robin, Ar- in addition, Robin Armtrout um, were kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and killed, and said that during it all, he just watched. Apparently, Wesley Shermantine was charged with first degree murder of Chevy Wheeler, Cindy Vanderheiden, Paul Cavanaugh, and Howard King. He was found guilty of the four murders and given the death penalty. He now resides on death row in San Quentin State Prison. Wow. Lauren.
Lauren Herzog which was charged with murdering Cindy Vanderheiden, Howard King, Paul Kavanaugh, Robin Armtrout, and the and he was and to be the accessory to murder of Henry Howell. He was also found he was found not guilty of being an accessory to the murder of Henry Howell. He was acquitted in the murder of Robin Armtrout, but he was found guilty of first degree murder of Cindy Vanderheiden, Howard King, and Paul Kavanaugh. He was given a 78-year sentence, but then on August 2004, a state appeals court overturned Herzog's conviction, saying that police coerced his confession during the long interrogation sessions. They also said that police ignored Herzog's right to remain silent, deprived him of food and sleep, and delayed his arraignment for four days. Oh, jeez. A new trial was ordered, but Herzog's lawyers worked out a plea deal with the prosecutors, and he was actually released. On January 17, 2012, Lauren Herzog was found dead hanging in his trailer. Oh, uh, Le- that was a twist. <laughs> Leonard Padilla says that he spoke with Herzog earlier in the day to warn him to get a lawyer because Sherman Time was turning over maps to where they had buried the bodies of their other victims. An opto- uh, the- So this is a... Uh, this thought oh, website... Yeah. Uh, included this, this snippet of information at the very end of their article that I included because it's hilarious. An autopsy of Lauren Herzog's was performed... And in the report, the various tattoos found on his body were were described in detail. Reportedly, much of his skin was covered in satanic images, including skulls and flames. Oh, oh okay, yeah, <laughs> classic satanic images. Only skulls and satanists get tattoos of skulls and flames. <laughs> no, it's not like one of the most common types of tattoos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, frustratingly, there's very little information about Marie and Maria's murders Aww. on the internet, other than what's on Unsolved Mysteries. It seems like, um, other than the fact that this Lauren was connected to their murder by this anonymous caller, there doesn't seem that there was ever any evidence that definitively connected them to the murders of these women but they were in the same area operating at the same time and this anonymous anonymous caller did say uh that someone named lauren was responsible so was he from canada that i was never able to determine okay um if they were actually from but it seems like they killed more people than have been accounted for that's true and i don't they weren't from canada but I wasn't able to determine if they had ever traveled to Canada. Who knows? Right, right. It didn't seem like they did a lot of canoeing. So his information is probably not super accurate. But it's a coincidence, at least. So I mean, I feel like a, a van with a canoe on top is much less creepy than just a van. So you know, that is kind of true. Because maybe, then there's a purpose for the van. Right, despite, right. Besides just, like murdering and kidnapping so you don't go oh why does that guy have a van that's creepy you go well look he loves the canoe right obviously that's why he has a van yeah you know that's a good point so maybe it was a a decoy canoe yeah these uh i was not expecting all this information and it's very interesting it was super interesting and you know these two murderers seems like they murdered almost indiscriminately if they needed twenty dollars to like get they just like killing people they would just kill you and take your twenty dollars so disgusting yeah they were also known to attack women um so it would not surprise me at all if they were the culprits in this crime sad and it also kind of makes sense too that there would be two killers because i was gonna say it's it not that it's impossible, but it seems hard for one person to stab two people to death without yeah. one of them getting away. Now, I'm not saying you, it can't be done, but it would make more sense to me if there was actually two killers. Yeah. So, 
Who knows? Oh, I mean, unfortunately, like I said, it's frustrating that there's almost no information other than like Those the Unsolved women. Mysteries wiki and then the sitcom.com message boards where a lot of people are like, well, it was obviously the serial killers, but I mean, we like don't actually know the that, only but... information that exists online about these, this, these murders. Poor women. They were just trying to enjoy their vacation. I know. It's very sad. It's a very tragic case. Yeah. Thanks for doing a little extra research on that. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I like it. Uh, now we get an extremely Ugh. long Amelia Earhart update. This is just frustrating. It's like most of the episode. So Robert Sack is in an airplane hangar. He's wearing the classic trench. And he's like, one of our most beloved segments we've ever had. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. Is the Amelia Earhart one. And I was like, really? That one that was just like racist and also just seemed made up? It was like the worst coverage of Amelia Earhart possible? Mm-hmm. That was one of your most popular segments of all time? Do better. Yeah, but um, then we sort of get a little bit of an update, which this one guy that we saw previously. It's the guy with the the shadow of a mustache. Yeah, I forget it's what we almost call that. Bar- barely there. It's it's anyway, a he choice. Some metal that's like attributed to her plane because of the ribbits or something. But then it's not okay. So he he finds some piece of metal and then uses that as an excuse to raise money to look for even more stuff on this island. I don't even remember which one that he's convinced Amelia Earhart crashed on. And then he holds this like press conference is like, mm, mystery solved. I did it. He I'm said, a genius. We were able to definitively solve because the mystery he, of Amelia he has, Earhart. Like, part of a shoe and then like part of an airplane. But when they actually compared and it's a very small part of an airplane, by the way. But when they take that piece of metal and compare it to, like, the model airplane that she would have flown, the rivets didn't line up. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, yeah, that's because it was repaired. And they were like, okay, but that wouldn't actually change the placement of the rivets. <laughs> so this could not have come from a meal. Basically, this one guy was like, I solved it. I'm a genius. And then all these other experts were like, that actually makes no sense. And I think with the new information that's come out about Amelia Earhart in the past couple of years, it makes even less sense. I think it's totally unrelated. Yeah, I think when we actually covered that segment, we turned up some information that I think part of her body was found. They think that they found her bones and they had been misclassified. And so it, Yeah, because of, you know, sexism. sexism. And it was found on a totally different island. So I think this guy just also found some old stuff and then was so determined. He wanted it to be Amelia Earhart so bad that he, like, made that work, even though yeah. that's not really what happened. So there's that update. It's so you just summarized over half of the episode because it's pretty much... It's pretty long, but really it's mostly a guy claiming he knows everything and then a bunch of people tactfully going, that makes no sense. Yeah. Okay, so then we get on to A Lost Love, which is sad. For We briefly have to talk about Georgia Tan again, where Robert Stack goes... Great. Remember Georgia Tan, the one of history's greatest monsters, this infamous baby broker who literally stole children and sold them? Well, there was another woman like that. Great. Her name was Bessie Bernard, which is too catchy of a name for such an evil woman. I agree. <laughs> so this is the case of Joe Soul, who is seeking his birth family. Um, and he finds out that he's adopted in this really tragic way that they reenact. It's 1944. Oh, you mean when Oliver Twist tells him that he was adopted? <laughs> it's 1994. He's, like, playing for a ball and with a ball, and some other kid comes and takes it, and he, like, very 
according to the reenactment, very politely is like, why did you do that? And the guy's like, because you're adopted. You're an adopted kid. What did they dress these kids? This is the most ridiculous reenactment I've ever seen. You don't think that's how kids dressed in the 1940s? Like, Maybe it is. Like but... they were working in a poorhouse in, in Dickensian England? They looked like they plucked one out of a chimney. It was like a, she was a chimney it sweep. Has, like... You know how the kids are dressed when they go outside in a Christmas story, but that, but like covered in soot. Yeah, it's very sooty. <laughs> I guess because one of them the has, past. A, although one of them has like this little like vest thing on. Sure, and I think maybe is carrying a small briefcase. <laughs> it's very strange. As kids did. Okay, so he didn't even know what the word adopted meant, and he just went home crying. And he asked his mom if he was really adopted, and he didn't even understand that question. He just knew that the kids were being mean to him. He said that their tone made him believe that whatever it meant, it was bad. Yeah. Which is so sad. So, and his mom was like, oh, okay, so you actually are adopted, but your parents died in a car accident, and we're your parents now, and we love you. And he was like, okay. But as he he got older, he had more questions about his birth family, and eventually his mom was forced to admit that his parents had not actually died, and that they had got him sort of illegally... I don't know to what extent they knew it was illegal, but they had purchased him from a baby broker. So he was adopted as an infant in 1939 by Charles and Florence Soule. Charles was a successful attorney who had passed away in 1960. So 20 years later was when Joel learned that his birth parents had not actually died and that his father had gone through great lengths to hide the information. I I guess he did know it was sketchy because he didn't want anyone to find out the sort of the origins. He had of, to have known. He had to have known. You're right. You don't just buy babies. <laughs> I mean, I realize this was the past, but like... I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, eventually Joe was able to access records. He acted, they acted like it was really hard for him to find these records, but in the reenactment, he literally goes to his dad's old office, and a man's like, here's his papers. So, I don't know how difficult that was. Which but, was a lot of papers. It was. to look through them. Yeah, you know. So, he was able to access records that shows that his birth name was Robert Wilson, and he was born actually on November 3rd, 1939, which he had previously not known was his birth date, and that his birth mother's name was Ruth Haverman. He learned that Ruth had lived at 677 Lexington Avenue in New York City. However, when he went there to talk to the home's owner, he learned that no one named Haverman had ever lived there. However, he did learn that there was a family named Habersack that had lived there, and that the home was once used as a home for unwed mothers. So, it seemed to him that probably his mother's name was Haversack, and that she had been sent there by her family because she was pregnant and not married, and that sort of to cover the baby brokering trail, her name was purposely written down a little bit off you know it makes sense yeah so when he was looking through the files he discovered that his father charles had written all these letters with different adoption agencies and including this baby broker bessie bernard who is just a terrible person so he discovered that bessie bernard had been arrested for baby selling in 1949 his adopted mother florence confirmed that joe had been sold to them through the black market baby operation and that she would like then we see this reenactment of bessie like in a new york apartment like yelling at her dad or someone else she worked with like nah we're making tons of dough gotta put this ad in the paper to buy babies (laughs) 
I was like, this is really blunt. Not sure that's exactly how it went down. But okay. (laughs) But we got to sell those babies. We got to sell and buy babies. So they would sell babies for $2,000 in the 40s, which is... Wow. Just an incredible amount of money. So she would put um, ads in different states and had this like network of people selling her babies, selling her babies so that she could, you know, sell them. And the babies were brought to New York and then would have their birth records changed to say that they were born there and they would fudge other facts like the birthday and the birth parents. So Bessie Bernard had been arrested in October 1949. But they show this really silly reenactment where the police, like, come to arrest her, and they have a warrant, and she's like, yeah, whatever. But then they, like, go for her purse, which had a little black book in it, like, possibly an address book of her clients or some information about her network, who knows. But then she, like, threw a fit and resisted arrest, and her father managed to, like, run off with the book so that the police couldn't get it, which, I mean, in this day and age, they just both would have been shot, so... And they're lucky. The reenactment is really silly. It's very silly. It's very hard to take seriously considering how sad all of this considering is. Considering they were selling black market babies. Yeah. <laughs> they're taking advantage of people who are in these not ideal situations due to society judging them and then preying on them to buy the babies and then sell them from those exorbitant fees and oh not God. ever connect them to who they actually belong to or if this woman was more like janet george or jan literally just stealing children no one or the other well and when he's interviewed for unsolved mysteries he's like i suddenly had to grapple with the fact that i was a commodity that i yeah. was so i was bought and sold on the black market can you imagine realizing that that yeah, is it's disgusting. So difficult. I can't even imagine. And he was a really cute kid, so yeah. maybe that factored into his two thousand dollar price tag. That's uh, it's really really weird. It would be a really also a weird thing to discover about your parents, which he presumably loved, that they were like right, they purchased. Him. Oh, you were willing to buy a person. Right. And he was like going through all these letters that his dad had written to adoption agencies. And he said that he kind of understood like how desperate they were. He could see them getting more and more desperate to get a child. And I, apparently that's what resorted them to this like black market. Yeah. But it's still pretty disgusting. Yeah. Okay. So then Robert. Okay. So we learned that Bessie Bernard was eventually found guilty of, of baby selling, but she was given she was given only a one year sentence, and instead she just paid a two thousand five hundred dollar fine. So the the price of one baby, basically. Okay. Uh, that's all she had to do for her crimes, and she passed away in nineteen eighty nine. So Joe is on the show talking about that he's worried he's never going to find his family because so many of the documents have been altered, and there doesn't seem to be records of like his original birth parents. So it was sort of a plea on the show, like if you knew anything about his mother, who might have been named Ruth Haverman or Ruth Haversack, she seemed to have a friend named Lucy Bint, but we don't know how they know that. Um, and he believed his father was named Robert Wilson and was an engineer in Hartford. Um, and that he wasn't sure if he had been born in New York or Florida. So fortunately, this is solved. But okay, so this aired in 1992, but it's not until 2013, Joe did DNA testing through Ancestry.com and was able to find two of his cousins. Oh, okay. But his mother had passed away in 1987. So she would have already have passed on when this episode aired. But he was able to meet his cousins, several relatives, and a half-brother named Robert. Oh. So that has kind of a nice ending. Unfortunately, the segment didn't bring him any closure sooner. But um, 
Bessie Bernard is a fucking terrible person, and I hope her soul's rotting in hell. Yeah. Baby the selling. Convicted end. of baby selling. So, can you imagine, like, spending your day selling babies and then, like, getting oh. in bed and being like, oh, I'm going to sleep tight tonight. Oh, no, I nothing, cannot. Nothing weighs on my conscience. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. Real villain of that tale. Definitely. All right, we got another one. This one is actually pretty good. Some of the details are boring, but it's an interesting case. Yeah, this is an unexplained death. And this is the death of Gary Simmons. So on October 16th, 1991, a Missouri bus driver named Tyrone Rollins. Uh, what do you think of Tyrone's mustache? Oh, uh, Did Mac you draw also it? named this one. It is very skinny and paltry, and Mac said it had a teenage quality. So it is called the Teenage Dirtbag. <laughs> That's very... This looks like a dirty mustache. It also has a large I'm part just down a the middle. Teenage Dirtbag, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, this is... Tyrone, I hope you have better facial hair these days. This is not a good look, Tyrone. There's also a very funny reenactment. So he's a bus driver. There's a very funny reenactment where we see him and his mustache through the rearview mirror. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, very tra- it's very dramatic and very silly. Dun, 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 dun. So Tyrone, while he was hired as a bus driver in Missouri, so he was driving this bus, and every day there was like this cliff overhanging where his bus was parked, and he had this bad feeling about this area. About this extremely ominous looking cliff. Like, no shit. One day, the urge to investigate overtook him, and he went looking, and he discovered this cave. This would have been us, don't you think? Absolutely. That we eventually would have been like, we gotta see what's in those cliffs. Oh, yeah. We're exploring with our flashlights. With our phones on flashlight. (laughs) What's in this cave? So he's in this cave, and he sees all these weird crystals, and he's going deeper and deeper. Well, inside the cave, he discovered the remains of a man named Gary Simmons. I hope it was exactly like the reenactment where he literally finds a skeleton wearing a shirt and boots. Robert Stack does call it the skeletal remains of of Gary Simmons. And then you just see Tyrone looking over his flashlight like, what? (laughs) So good. That's a quality reenactment right there. So he contacted the police who determined that Gary Simmons was the the man whose remains have been found and that he was shot in the head. So police reopened the investigation into Gary Simmons' disappearance because I think he had disappeared like, I don't know, how many years? Eight years earlier or something? It was quite a few. It was in the 70s. Yeah, so he had vanished. Oh, yeah. Long, okay, yeah, you're right. In the 70s. He had vanished in October of 1974 and may have been murdered by a man named Tom Dixon. So during the 1970s, Gary had owned and operated a... Yeah, he owned a lucrative chain of gas stations in Kansas City. Um, And then he also had a hobby of horse trading. And his friends are interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries and talk about how he kind of got his family into the horse business as a fun hobby and something to do. And he was really into Appaloosa horses, which are like these spotted, spotted horses. Are they like more expensive than other horses? No. Not really. Okay. Um, they're definitely not the most expensive. But if you're talking like, it sounded like he was trading in like really, really well-bred um, show Appaloosas. So, I mean, they are like any horse. It's a it's kind of a rich person's hobby. Um, they can be pretty expensive. That's, that's going to be your hobby once this podcast takes off. Horse trading? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if what it's miniature a, donkeys. What, oh, what would be a good like rich person hobby for you to take up after this after we get our $10 million deal with Stitcher. 
I do like the idea of, of horse trading. Yeah. Uh, because I like horses. But I'm not really sure. I don't know. Would you be, uh, I don't know, making like a corset maker? Oh, that sounds great. I was thinking I would be like in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, how he was always going to Europe to buy antiques. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would, I think, be me. Did I, and, and I would act like that was work, you know, like, oh, oh sure, sure. Another, another season, I must go to Europe to buy <laughs> Fabergé eggs or whatever. <laughs> that would be my rich person's hobby, I think. Plus setting up the Capybara, Capybara Ranch, obviously. Oh, obviously. Okay, so on October 14th, the day before he vanished, uh, Gary learned that a man named uh, Tom Dixon had a purebred horse that he was interested in selling. Uh, the next day, the two met at Gary's office. At 10.15 a.m., they left, and Gary told his secretary that they will return would return shortly. However, he did not say where they were going. Fifteen minutes later, Gary called his secretary and told her to write a check to Dixon for $30,000, which is a... Re- that would be a lot of money for a horse today. I cannot imagine. Yeah. Like, that is... And when he's told how much that's how much the horse is, he's like, whoa, that must be some horse. He's, like, so impressed by the price of the horse. I mean, I do recognize that some horses sell for a lot more. Like, if we're talking, like, the top race horses or something like that. But, like, I don't know. I'm not really in the... I've never been in the Appaloosa show world, but $30,000 to oh, seems you, like you a, will a lot. Be. You will be when we're so wealthy. <laughs> At 11 a.m., Dixon arrived and picked up the check. He later met with Gary to get his signature, although nobody knows where this meeting took place. Gary was last seen alive at 11.30 a.m. at a truck stop 10 miles from his office. He was apparently looking out the window waiting for someone. Just before noon, Dixon showed up at Gary's bank. Gary called the president of the bank, claiming that Dixon was coming to cash the check. The bank manager, of whom Gary was one of his best customers, approved the check and also suggested if Dixon was interested in opening an account um, with him as well. Dixon declined, claiming he was in debt and needed the cash to retire and set, uh, retire his said debts. Around five hours later, Dixon arrived at a salvage yard 11 miles from the bank, driving Gary's Lincoln Continental. Not suspicious at all. Oh, definitely not. Uh, the man at the scrapyard had a ridiculous mustache as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't draw that because I feel like this guy's a dirtbag. I, I think he is. So he, a- uh, Dixon asked if he could uh, have the Which is flattened. ironic because I called that other mustache the teenage dirtbag. That guy's not a dirtbag. He's fine. Yeah. But this guy was like, oh, you need to get rid of the car of someone you've clearly murdered. Let me tell you how to do it. Oh, yeah, because mm. Dixon apparently flat out asked if the car could be made so that it wasn't able to be identified. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I got your back. <laughs> wow, you really know this scrapyard guy super well. If you can just drive up and say, hey, can you help me uh, cover up a crime? He's like, you know what you really should do. Oh, like, you, what? You know the scrapyard guy, like, specializes in this. Or they're, like, childhood friends. Or something like that. But the salvage man actually suggested that Dixon put the car in the Missouri River. He's like, put, I know, what you should really do is put a brick on the accelerator and drive it into the river. And he was just like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. Bye. Great idea. What? I know. Around five hours later, Dixon arrived at... Oh, hold on. The next day, Tom Dixon was dropped off by a friend at a truck stop and was never seen again. Six months later, on April 25th, 1975, Gary's car was pulled from the Missouri River. Hmm. Police had no idea what happened to the two men until Hmm. Gary's skeletal remains were located in 1991. And at some point, the cops like, well, we didn't even know there had been a crime. 
It was just two men who go dis- who disappeared, which happens every day in America. And I was like, it does? Okay. Two grown men just disappear. He was acting like maybe they fell in love and ran off together. I mean, I guess maybe. And that's why they put he put his car in a river. He had this thriving business. He had this hobby of buying and selling horses. He had a family. Like, I don't know. He why literally he up and disappear. He literally went to a scrapyard and was like, how do I get rid of this car? The most suspicious thing ever. I don't think they just ran off together. Yeah, I don't think so. I drew some cop's mustache also, and I called it Mr. Intense. Mr. Intense. All the cops in this episode had mustaches. And were super intense about it. All right, so let's see. Tom Dixon is the prime suspect in Gary's disappearance. However, oh, he say. has never officially been charged, and to my knowledge, he's like completely missing. Um, a private investigator hired by Gary's family stated that Gary disappeared just before he was to testify in a federal investigation about black market gasoline sales. Hmm. The investigator also suggested that Dixon was used to lure Gary and kill him. However, investigators did not believe this theory as Gary was not involved in the purchase of illegal gasoline. Okay. So the result is that it's, it's still unsolved. As Unsolved Mysteries was still filming the story, a new witness named Roy Holton Hilton came forward. Roy knew both Gary and Tom and claims that the horse deal was not bogus and that Gary had actually shown him the horse. He also claimed that Gary had made phone calls to his bank and to the office from the Whispering Downs Horse Ranch on the day of his disappearance. Roy believes that Gary may have been killed over black market gasoline sales because Gary's gas station business had been failing, as many in the oil and gas station business had been hit hard by the 1973 oil crisis. However, his brother claims that he was not involved in black market gasoline sales. The case is now considered even more complicated than before. Police believe that Tom Dixon may know who killed Gary Simmons or may actually be the killer, but police only have enough evidence to have an arrest warrant for auto theft in the stealing of the subsequent and subsequent dis- dr- destruction of Gary's vehicle. Um, he is uh, likely now in his 80s and authorities believe that he could even be deceased. Some investigators now believe that he was killed along with Gary. However, this has hmm. not been confirmed. Interesting. Sadly, Gary's brother Jerry passed away in 2016 at the age of 67. Wait, someone named their kids Gary and Jerry? Gary and Jerry. That was a poor choice. <laughs> so Gar- I hadn't considered that Tom Dixon was also murdered due to him going to the scrapyard and that being so suspicious to me. Yeah, same. But... I mean, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess Gary Simmons went to see someone about a horse and nah, ended up a way. skeleton. Uh, that's it's, about it. It's strange to me that I could not like an episode that involves a skeleton wearing boots in a cave. <laughs> it's this Amelia Earhart thing. It, it t- really it taints it. the whole episode. So then we get a totally unnecessary update about Jackie Dragon that was looking for her birth family. It's no new information. We've already talked about that. Okay, so now we have a fraud. That um, lightning fast. It's so quick. It's almost hard to follow. It happens so fast. And it starts with Robert Stack just standing in a warehouse full of boxes that are clearly empty. And he is complaining about Fidelity National Medical Company, which was almost like a pyramid scheme except they didn't even bother having any products <laughs> so um and the example is a witness who's going by robert jones but it's that thing where they like you can't see him and you, it's not his real name so mm. if you try to track down robert jones good luck because that's fake so he was interested in investing in fidelity 
National Medical Supply, I think they put out ads that they were looking for people to, to franchise it. So he went to look at the business. He was driven there by in a limo, Samantha. Oh, oh, I know. That so must fancy. be legit. And um, he had also contacted the B- the Better Business Bureau, and there was no complaints. And I think he did a little other bit of research before he went. And he just, like, looked around. And they wouldn't let him in the warehouse because they claimed it was, like, medical supplies. But I- that doesn't really make sense because wouldn't he be selling them? I- they were like, you can't. Very little about this makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they are like, you can't go in the warehouse, obviously, because of the restrictions on pharmaceuticals, but you can see it through this window. And he was like, oh, yes, looks great. And, like, the phone's ringing, whatever. It seems like this very happening business place. Sure. Except that, I don't know, wouldn't he be getting those medical supplies later? I don't know. But he's not even allowed to go Here's in the warehouse. Here's some advice. Just the phones ringing and people looking busy does not mean it's legit. A thriving business. Yeah. So he purchased a distributorship from them for $54,000, his life savings. He was one of 300 people who invested before the IRS became suspicious. In February of 1992, the IRS, FBI, and the Oklahoma City PD raided the headquarters. Um, And then you see this great footage of them going into the warehouse, cutting open the boxes with box cutters, and literally every single one being empty. And them, like, throwing the boxes around because they're so light. Because according to their investigation, uh, Federally National had never bought or sold anything. So it was selling these distributorships to people that meant absolutely nothing. Quite the scam. Took people's money. They were trying to take a lot of people's money in a very short period of time and then just flee, right? So that people would be left with nothing. Um, it's not really clear to me, but the the update is. I don't, it's not clear to me how they figured this out, but the key figures in the scam were Thomas Alfred Flanagan and Harold Frederick Kruger, who were convicted of conspiracy and mail and wire fraud charges. Both served nine and a half years in prison. Kruger was arrested in San Antonio, Texas, weeks before the story aired. So. And Soul Mysteries didn't even help with that. And then in August of 92, Flanagan was arrested in Atlanta, Georgia. That one, thanks to the viewers' tips. They have both since been released. Okay. So, there you well, go. That's it. Possibly the most boring mystery It's ever. so short, and it's just like... Yeah, I guess don't. You, if you and blink, like you might miss this last one. I almost didn't see it at all because I thought the episode was ending with this unnecessary update on Jackie Dragon, who has the greatest name ever. And I was just about to turn it off when Robert Sack started standing by boxes. And I was like, what the hell is this? We don't have time for another mystery. But it just is really fast and boring. The and- only reason I could tell it was still going was because they played the in-between music, the in-between segment oh, music. Yeah, and you're I smart. And I was about to turn it off and I'm like, wait, why are they playing that? Is, it, is there another one? And then sure enough, there was this tiny one at the end. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. There's that. Should we rate this weird episode? I somehow will manage. Okay. Uh, mysteriousness. First? It's sort of mysterious. We don't know what happened in this horse case. Nope. Because was he just killed for the 30 grand? Was there something... Was the 30 grand luring him to his murder? Like, to his death? Was there even a horse? Was there even a horse? Was Was Tom Dixon also a victim? Or was he the murderer? Was it about black market gasoline sales? 
There's a, lot of, there's a lot of mystery with that one. There's a lot of mystery in the first one, too. We don't know what happened to Marie and Maria. Um, yeah. They might be connected to... Their death might be connected to these serial killers, which is very interesting, but we don't know for sure, and we probably never will. Which is just sad. Yeah. So, actually, high mysterious. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. Reenactments? Okay, we've got some bad reenactments in this. <laughs> yeah. Really bad. But I also love that guy, fi- Tyrone, finding the skeleton. So, whew, I'm going to say it's sideways. It's a wash. Yeah, I think so. I think I think the good doesn't necessarily outweigh the bad in that All one. the lost love reenactments that take place in the 40s are terrible. I don't know why. They're pretty ridiculous. I don't know why people thought they were auditioning for A Christmas Carol. I, I don't know. It's the just, pants on some of those children are just ridiculous. Um, and and whoever is playing Bessie Bernard is like the worst dinner theater actor <laughs> of all. T- I'm sorry. I'm sorry if she's listening. My I'm sure apologies. She's not. But uh, yeah, wow. It's not. Is it's, that a thumbs? Look, look, actress who played Bessie, not your best work. Not no. Take from that and improve. <laughs> okay, so that's a, that's a thumb it's sideways. A, it's a wash. I loved Tyrone playing himself, but. That, Most that's of the rest it. of it. Um, fashion. Okay, no. There's some decent... Well, I actually... It's Stack who brings the fashion in this. We get a casual Stack in a cave where he's wearing, like, a buffalo check shirt and a and a brown leather jacket. That's and true. That that's gets true. a thumbs up. We do get a lot of early 90s women's fashion in the first one. Oh, because the actresses that play the women, there's a lot of sh- different shots of them hitchhiking on different days. And they're wearing all kinds of different outfits. And we also get to see some of the um, photos from their film that was found. Yes. And the mustaches, which we normally include in this this category. Okay. So I'm going to say So much variety up. in mustaches. So a thumbs up for fashion. Even though some of the 40s fashion is dubious at best. Yeah. Uh, Robert Stack. Not sure why he's referring to the women as chambermaids at the very beginning. Hey. That's puzzling, but... I'm still giving it a thumbs up because we get to see him in both a cave and an airplane hangar and by a ton of empty boxes. <laughs> I don't know how you can tell bump boxes are empty when they're sealed, but you just kind of can. You can tell in this case. They're just a little too pristine. They're, like, all so neatly stacked and none of them are... I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just not right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so... Thumbs up for Robert Stack. Yeah, he has. There's a lot of him in this too. Good job, Stack. Because there's a lot of little segments, so he needs to make a lot of transitions. How are we going to rate this one? Because on one hand, I hate the Amelia Hart thing and it, most of the episode, but it, I didn't hate the other segments. No, I feel like the Amelia Earhart thing, despite being their most popular segment of all time that they thought they needed to bring back, just taints it. Yeah, it makes it annoying. But your first mystery, good. This horse mystery, some of it, you get, it gets a little bogged down in, like, the timeline of the day. And the, the gasoline day. thing. And but everything. it's still interesting. Yeah. Plus, his body is found in a literal cave. As a skeleton. And the lost love was a, sad, a decent, but a it, was, lost it was a decent lost love. The fraud case, whatever. This is a total throwaway. Though I do like the footage of the FBI agents just literally throwing boxes around, <laughs> which is amusing to me. I guess. Oh God, I don't know. I know. Does this is this like a classic three? Is I it a three point five? But I, and I feel like it can't be a three point five because the Amelia Earhart thing is so terrible, like it. and it's most of the episode. But I don't think it's a two. I feel like it's a three with an asterisk. Okay, yeah. It's like a three, but then the asterisk, you go down the asterisk and it says, "But I didn't actually like it." I feel like if I if you would have plucked the Amelia Earhart segment out entirely this would be like a four yeah you don't even replace it with anything just take it out take it out and make it a little bit shorter yeah done 
So I think you're right. With the Amelia Earhart in there, it's a three with a caveat. <laughs> it's a three that's it's three, and then you go to the actress and it goes, I don't want to watch this again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. Three with asterisks. I can live with that. All right. And that's a wrap. We're done with that. Done with that forever. Done. Throw it in the garbage. I don't want to look at it. Did you come up with a recommendation? I did. I literally was sitting right there. That's helpful. So as I was definitely listening to every word you said, my eyes (laughs) (laughs) glanced over and I remembered that, oh, this year I treated myself to a tea advent calendar. So I thought I would talk about that because it's literally in this room. And I have been enjoying it. It's really pretty. I really like it. So this is from the company, oh my goodness, Bird and Blend Tico, which is in England. And so I get 24 teas behind little doors. So each day I get to treat myself to a different type of tea. But what I really, I looked at several to decide what kind of tea Advent Calendar I was going to get. This company lets you pick all ones that are not caffeinated. Right, because you can't have caffeine. So if you had a so, mix, then there would be some you couldn't drink. I know, and I was going to do that anyway, but then I was like, then I'll just be bummed most days. Right. <laughs> when I go, well, I can't drink this one either. And actually, these teas so far have been delicious. And some of them are matcha powders Ooh. that you like... Mix in? Yeah, that you mix in more like a latte. Super delicious. So what is today, the 8th? Let's open up and see what we got. That's just another door randomly flew off. Okay, so today's tea is called Moon Dot Dreams, which is a rooibos with apple pieces, rose hip, lavender, lemon peel, fermented lemon, orange peel, and natural flavoring. That sounds delicious. That sounds delicious. My tea yesterday, let's see what that was called. This has been my favorite one so far. My one yesterday was called Enten Mess which is described as mashed strawberries, sweet crumbly meringue and cream, which was made with apple, rose hips, elderberries, freeze-dried strawberries, licorice, strawberry pieces, and natural flavoring. This is one of the most delicious teas I've ever had. It's lovely. Do you think you could place an order to get, like, more of it? I think so. And so I've been saving the bags of the ones that I like, so... It's kind of a cool way to try different teas, which is something I like to do. I forget exactly what this cost. It was kind of a lot for 24 bags of tea, but it's just a fun It's fun, fun though, thing. and you get to treat yourself every day, which is I know. really and I get excited delight. about opening them and seeing what I got. So, one day was empty. Oh, no. But I think it's because it, like, slid... Oh, into, into, an, into another compartment? So, one day I'll get... I think it's, like, a littler thing, and it slid away. So, one day I'll get two. Nice. So that was a slight bummer. But yeah, this tea company is really good. So I would recommend Bird and Blend Tea if you like herbal tea, which I feel like someone's going to tell me that's not really tea. That's fine. I don't care. I think it's, it's. I mean, it's not because it's not made with tea leaves. I don't know. I go okay. to this one tea shop here to get rooibos really sometimes. It's very snooty. And every time I buy it, they're like, you know, this is a not really tea. Fuck you. I mean, it's tea if I'm going to call it tea. It's like, first of all, you're the one selling it and running a tea shop. You're and calling also, it tea on the menu, are you not? And I was like, also, can I just have it? Like, I, I'm going to drink it and I don't really care. I don't care what it's that called. It's it could tizan. be called dog shit. I'm still going to drink it because it's delicious. <laughs> um, If you would like something local or you were going to order something anyway, Tea Source here in Minneapolis, St. Paul has amazing amazing tea they do have really good tea it's some of the best tea i've ever had and it's shockingly affordable i don't know what their deal is but that lavender berry tea oh my god yum anyway so that's my update 
drink tea or tisans or whatever the hell. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great recommendation. So I, c- I confess I also sort of didn't have a recommendation, but I thought as I was arriving here that I should recommend this book series I just finished because I'm really into like cheesy horror novels. Okay. They're like the book equivalent to a cheesy horror movie like horror movie. Sure. Um I read one about Killer Squid a while back that I think was called The Deep that was pretty good. They're the type of books that you have to sort of suspend your disbelief, but it's deep sort of just fun. Written by the guy that wrote Jaws. No, I think it was someone else. Okay, because I think he wrote a squid book too. Did he? So you might want to look into that. Interesting. Um, so the reason I bring up this series that I really like is because I recently tried to read, there's a new one out about killer mermaids mm-hmm. called um, Into the Drowning Deep, I think. And it was terrible and I hated it. And a lot of people really loved it. So maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's saying something about me and not the book, but I thought it was really, really bad. But recently I finished a trilogy I'm going to have to say, Alexa, if you're listening, friend of the pod, Alexa, <laughs> stop listening right now. Or if you're arachnophobic, you may not. This oh, is not God. for you. Because this is about killer spiders. But it was really good in a, like, mere entertainment sense. This is the Hatching series by Ezekiel Boone. Okay, that sounds gross just from the title. I mean, it sort of is gross, but I was never grossed out. Um, well, that means nothing to me. <laughs> It's because this is a ridiculous book. Like it's, it's. But you look at maggots in people's eyeballs, so you're like, this isn't gross. It's just about killer spiders hatching out of bags of spider eggs. (laughs) It's kind of true. One of the grossest things in the world. If you really hate spiders, this is not for you. But I thought it was an entertaining series. The first one I will say is the weakest by far. But um, I read it because there's like a Minnesota connection. I don't. I'm not sure if Ezekiel Boone is from Minnesota, but part of the book takes place in northern Minnesota. Um, and then where there's killer spiders, not to my knowledge. Why doesn't this book take place in Australia? Uh, I'm not sure. Where there are literally killer spiders waiting to kill us. Part of it also takes place in Peru, which is one of my favorite countries, and that's another reason why I read it. But it was pure entertainment. It's you really have to suspend a lot of disbelief about like how science works, (laughs) about how the military works, how about how quickly people are able to invent things that'll just magically kill spiders. But it's. A very entertaining book. The first one's called The Hatching. The second one's called Skitter. And then the third one is called Zero Day, which just uh, came out last year. And I listened to the audiobooks. The narrator's really good. And it was a fun time. Um, It's very fluffy and it's not very serious. And if you're into that, I think you'd like it. If you're into watching cheesy horror movies, you would like it, I think. Um, Yeah, and there's there's three books. So What's the second one called? Skitter. Ugh, that's gross. (laughs) I don't like that. I mean, it is about spiders, which do creep me out, but... I feel like I'm more creeped out by them the older I get. Does that make sense to anyone else? Sure. I feel when like I was a kid, I was like, well, they're harmless. Who cares? And now I'm kind of like, no, I don't like it. I'm not super freaked out by spiders. If you're arachnophobic, obviously, this is not the book for you. Um, I wonder who did write the, that squid one. Maybe there I can find There is another. It. I know that the guy that wrote Jaws definitely wrote a book. Maybe it was an octopus, but I think it was about a killer squid. Squid are probably my favorite animal, though. I'm fat, kind of fascinated by giant squid. They're very interesting. Oh, oh, oh. One of my favorite bad movies ever, though, is called Ice Spiders. Oh. And I think it's one of those movies that's made for Sci-Fi Channel. Mm. And it's about spiders 
that are at a like <laughs> obviously this is very common uh geography you have a, a ski resort a place with exotic spiders and like a nuclear facility right next to each other i think oh okay but anyway the spiders become gigantic and then just start attacking gigantic right and then they just start attacking people on the ski slopes, which means that people are, like, continuing to ski, despite <laughs> the fact that giant tropical-colored spiders are, like, eating and killing people. <laughs> but other people are just like, hey, look at me ski. <laughs> Hilarious. It's Oh, we should look for a clip from Ice Spiders. So good. That's so funny. In um, the Song of Ice and Fire, the books that inspired Game of Thrones, there are ice spiders. And a lot of people on, like, Thrones Twitter, like, really wanted ice spiders to show up in the last season. It was a whole thing. And, of course, they never did. Where are our fucking ice spiders? I know, right? It's a- so the book I was thinking of actually is called Below, and it's by Ryan Lockwood. And it is, yeah, about giant squid. And it's the same sort of thing. It's, yeah. But you didn't like it. No, I did like it. Oh, that's I like the liked. squid one. I didn't like the mermaid one. Oh, the I'm mermaid sorry. one I thought was was terrible, completely ridiculous, and I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> despite the fact it was about killer mermaids, that's like something that should just be, yeah, fun. And No, there's a show on maybe Hulu now that's about a mermaid or a siren. And I was like, I'm all for this. I'm in. I can't even remember what it's called. And then I started watching it, and I was like, how is this show about a killer mermaid so fucking boring? And so, like... That's how this book was. I was like, so I'm boring. so bored. <laughs> it was so boring. And it, it also does the thing that I... Despite enjoying cheesy horror, what I don't like is when authors make characters do stupid things with the sole purpose of just putting them in danger. Yeah, it yeah. It's just lazy think, to me. Think that through a little more. And then it, it makes it not scary, because you're just frustrated by the character's behavior that was that's basically what the whole book was like huh now i kind of want to write a book about killer mermaids you should write a better one yeah there's clearly a market for it and at the end it turns out it's really a gargoyle romance (laughs) that's quite the plot (laughs) twist (laughs) you thought they were mermaids but it turns out somehow they're gargoyles okay I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. And then Mothman's there. <laughs> and, then the, and then the spider's attacked. <laughs> and then Mothman was there. <laughs> this, of course, I just, I'm like, like, you know, like something that would happen on Riverdale. <laughs> it's like, oh, and then this happens. Didn't see that coming. That's what's so great about Riverdale, though. Is so many shows follow a logic that's not realistic at all, but we just accept it as TV logic. Sure. And Riverdale's like, no, fuck that. This guy was going to escape in an actual rocket while dressed like evil Knievel. And I'm going, (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) Thank you, Riverdale. Thank you. So, yeah, maybe. Uh, Writers of Riverdale, if you're listening, Mothman. I want Mothman and Riverdale. There's no reason why that could not happen. There, no, absolutely not. I no. want Jughead investigating Mothman. <laughs> Bring it to me. I assume all the writers of Riverdale listen to the show. So. I assume so. I assume everyone listens. <laughs> yeah. So, hi, BD1. Is that... <laughs> That's why we should start the show. Instead of Friends with Enemies, we should go, hello, BD Wong and other listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just, like... Manif- and then maybe somehow eventually someone will tell him, do you know there's a podcast that every episode starts Hello, B.D. Wong and other listeners? 
<laughs> Could you imagine? If we just put that out into the universe, maybe eventually it'll become true. I always thought that if I got to write a book, I would dedicate it to Ewan McGregor just because I thought maybe then somehow he would like find out that I exist. <laughs> Where people were like, did you know this random chick dedicated to her book? And it just said, like, to you and McGregor, because. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> Guess I have to read it. Guess I, I mean, why is it about still... Killer Mermaids? <laughs> it's like, it's actually about Gargoyle. <laughs> oh, and Mothman's here? That's strange. <laughs> but she dedicated it to me? All right. He's like, insulted. This book sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be fully nude in the film adaptation of this, he says. <laughs> oh, wow. The film adaptation of the killer gargoyle murder. Yeah. Where Ian McGregor is nude. Maybe it's just often nude. Okay, well, it so. makes sense. Maybe he is the gargoyle mermaid. Oh, my God, I love this movie so much. <laughs> it's my favorite. Or maybe he's Mothman. How could we choose? Oh my! Will they, they make a movie of the Mothman romance that the listener is writing right now? And will you and McGregor play Mothman? I would die. I would. I would die, and I would want that <laughs> on my grave. It's loosely connected to the movie Drawn to the Flame, <laughs> starring you and McGregor as Mothman. <laughs> Wow, that was quite a tangent. It really was. I think we're done now. <laughs> I think that's the end. BB Wong, I hope you've enjoyed listening. I hope so, too. Please write us a five-star review. On iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Perhaps It's You. We also have a Facebook group. The Facebook group is much more active than the Instagram, I can tell you that. <laughs> Go join the Facebook group. Um, oh, what else? Join our Patreon. Give us some money. Yeah, patreon.com slash Perhaps It's You. We need it to keep this podcast going uh it could be your money and then you can get a uh, there's like 22 episodes or whatever yeah you'll get so much in our stuff. back catalog plus you get a postcard plus if you give us a little more money you get a coloring sheet every month plus if you give us a little more money you can get a quarterly gift yeah people just got some ghost slot ornaments and that could have been on you on your holiday trees <laughs> send, us, send us a photo if they are i'd love to see it um, Does anyone do like else? a unsolved mysteries themed tree? <gasps> that would be amazing, and it would have to be khaki colored. <laughs> <laughs> I would never buy a khaki colored anything. <laughs> but if it's an unsolved mysteries tree, I think that just makes sense. It does actually. A khaki colored tree. Well, I'm never gonna make it, so I hope. So, I hope. B.D. Wong or one of our other listeners. Khaki colored trees probably don't exist, but if someone wants to Photoshop a tree and like make it an unsolved <laughs> mysteries tree, with I'll put it on our very on inactive the, Instagram account. It will be us on the top. Yeah, you think Robert Stack would be the tree topper? No, it would it's be us. us. It would be us, and, and there would be little Robbie Stacky ornaments. Yeah, even though that has nothing to do with unsolved mysteries <laughs> at all, so it's really more like I guess this is a perhaps it's you tree, not really an unsolved mysteries tree. I'm picturing like a little porpoise of justice. That would be so good. A ghost slot, of course. A little just sweats like sweatshirt. <laughs> Aw, and so much Mothman's booty. So much booty on that tree. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>